Hey everybody, this is Mike from the Fantasy Footballers. Look, I know you're getting prepped, you're strategizing with tips and tricks how to take down a tournament in DFS with our boys Borg and Betts, who are, look, they are simply the best at what they do for for DFS, but want to remind you about the Ultimate Draft Kit Plus, which is how you get in to the DFS Pass. We brought Borg and Betts on full-time to teach you DFS from the, the holistic approach that we use on the Fantasy Footballers podcast. We want you to be informed and be equipped and be a profitable player in 2021. And the DFS Pass is full of difference-making articles, tools like the Vegas reports, roster percentage outlooks, and our lineup optimizer. We had a number of subscribers win life-changing money last year. That is no joke. I saw the screenshots. And we want you to be part of that crew this year. Instead of a monthly subscription, start cashing weekly now. UltimateDraftKit.com for a one-time only purchase. It's the lowest price in the industry. Again, you just one time. It is one time you buy that Ultimate Draft Kit Plus, the UDK Plus, and you get the DFS Pass all year. Now let's get to the show. Footballers DFS podcast with your hosts Kyle Borgannoni and Matthew Betts. Welcome in Fantasy Footballers DFS podcast. I am your host Kyle Borgannoni. Today I'm looking like I coach golf and I teach history, which is great. But I'm here with my friend Matthew Betts. You are giving off strong golfer vibes right now. Um, which is fantastic because we were talking about in Slack yesterday with the crew uh, some golfing, you know, habits by the team. So uh, if you look the part, dude, like you're rocking the Nike hat, the polo, uh, you can play on my team. How much of golf is simply about the gear and the way that you look? Because I feel like, you know, other sports, it's like football, you know, you have to wear a certain get up pads, whatnot. But like golf is like 70 percent style. I would even say 80. Like, let's be honest. No one's a great golfer. Like, we're out there to have fun and, you know, drink a couple of beers and chase a white ball around a course with your buddies. Uh, yeah, you got to be looking good, man. That's what it's all about, of course. So, yes, that's that's crucial uh, in the golf game. And, and golf's one of those things where it's like you can buy all the stuff. You can, you know, get as much as you want, show up with your friends and just suck. Like, just be terrible. But you have a little bit of respect. It's like, wow, you put a lot of money an effort into thinking that maybe you're actually good at golf though, Beth. So why, why are you saying this? <laughs> I mean, it's all relative. Of course I'm okay at golf. Um, but yeah, I've got a buddy, like he's a sucker for like the Instagram ads that pop up of like, Oh, you need this little gizmo or gadget to help you with your golf game. He just like shows up to the course with like a new thing every week. I'm like, dude, you are so bad. It doesn't matter what you have. <laughs> I would say that most sports with a ball, I can not only hold my own, but I feel like I, I know what I'm doing. Like just any sport played baseball growing up. I can do, I can do well with basketball. Frisbee is my best sport, but I'm just going to say golf is my kryptonite sport. My dad did not take me to the course. I'm not mad about it, but a lot of my friends are really, really good at golf. And I just feel bad. Like, I don't know if I want to go out because I'm just hashtag not good. Again, as long as you look good, man, that's all that matters. Okay, well, that's what I'll work on. I've got the get up today when I'm wearing. I feel like a golfer a little bit, but 
Welcome in. If this is your first time, you are getting ready for week one. This is the podcast for you. This week, Betts and I are talking about the week one lines for the NFL slate and specifically the main slate. Next week, we will get into two podcasts. So just a little scheduling update for you. Uh, We will have a podcast that comes out every week on Tuesday. And this next week, it'll preview the Tampa Bay and Dallas game. And then we will always have our main slate podcast that comes out on Fridays. And that's the one that kind of gets to walk you through really the meat of things. So two shows a week, that's going to be great. But I wanted to close the book on best ball season because we are for our site, for our time and our energy, we're closing the book on best ball. Summer is the best time to do best ball. But I wanted to go through a couple of quick questions to wrap up best ball season. So for you bets, Give me your highest exposure players that you had in best ball. I feel great about two of the three here. So Jarvis Landry and Tyler Lockett are two wide receivers that I was taking at or above ADP almost all the time. And honestly, for Jarvis Landry, you could get him past ADP. Like he has this kind of gross stigma of like, well, he's not a high upside best ball type of receiver that we like. But all the dude does is outperform his ADP every single year. And I wrote up an article on the site about stacking the Browns in best ball because of how much Vegas expects them to score this year. So I want to attach myself to that offense. And Jarvis Landry is a great, you know, wide receiver four, five, six type of build for your roster that you can get an affordable price. So I have a ton of those two guys that I am excited about. The other guy, I'm a little worried. I have a lot, and when I mean when I say a lot, <laughs> I mean a lot of Latavius Murray, um, who when we got the news of Michael Thomas getting injured. Uh, there was kind of hope that maybe they would just go really heavy with the running scheme. And I said, well, Latavius Murray has done really well in the past as standalone value in best ball. But if anything should happen to Alvin Kamara, he would be the guy. We've seen that. He succeeded in that role. And then all of a sudden, now we have this Tony Jones news that he may be the RB2. So we don't really know at this point. I have certainly cooled off my exposure to Latavius, uh, although I can't quit the guy. I got him today, actually, in the 18th round of a draft. So if he's fallen that far, I'll take a shot on him again. But I have certainly overweight on Latavius Murray. I hope Sean Payton is lying to us about Tony Tony Jones. I'd love for you to t- use that phrase and statement and tell Latavius's mother, I am so overweight on your son. Like, it's not even funny. <laughs> <laughs> Me and Latavius' mom just fist pumping on the couch on Sundays, watching watching our boy score touchdowns. No, I, I mean, there's still upside there. We know that he smashed whenever Kamara has been out. So I think it could turn up. But yes, it definitely turned in the last, what, like two or three weeks if you had Latavius Murray in best ball rosters, I'll give you mine really quickly. It's no surprise who my number one is. I mean, come on, right? It's your my guy. Come on. It is my my guy, George Kittle. So I just decided to take the stance that I'm all in on George Kittle. I'm going to assume in best ball, because we're supposed to do assume that we're right, that he's going to end up as the tight end one or tight end two and get a discount from Kelsey. So I have a disproportionate amount of Kittle over Kelsey. And then at my other positions is Terrace Marshall, who I've always loved just from the get go. Uh, since I wrote that first article in like January, I've been just been in love with, with Terrace Marshall. Uh, and then Michael Pittman Jr. I've been pretty knee deep in Michael Pittman and things have trended in a good way. And then Javante Williams is my highest exposure running back. And for about, I don't know, the last two or three weeks, it's felt bad, but I felt good about it the past week. He's more of a play if I have him as my RB2, then I think things can trend in the right direction the second half. And I think that's what you need in best ball. So what do you think about my dudes? 
You got great dudes, man. Kyle's dudes. <laughs> no, and I just want to give you a quick shout out. You're really good at like early in Dynasty being on guys compared to other people. Like you were talking about Terrace Marshall in January, February, and now the community is all all hyped about Terrace Marshall. He's like a borderline like 110 overall player in best ball. Whereas a few months ago, you could get him in like the 14th, 15th, 16th round. So uh, hats off to you for that. I love both those guys, Pittman and Terrace Marshall. And then, yeah, Javante Williams, like we talked about, this is why you draft all summer. Like if you're just now hopping on board with Javante Williams, you missed the boat. His ADP is out of control at this point, but you could get him, you know, in June, early July, like round eight around there, you know, and that's a smash. But now, of course, you'd be laughing if he fell that far, right? So he doesn't go that far anymore. So this is why you build that portfolio over the course of the summer so you get exposure to guys that you like ahead of ADP when you can kind of get that quote-unquote like closing line value on players. So love that strategy, and I definitely want to employ that more next summer. So before we paint the picture that it's all roses, let's go the other end of the spectrum and say, who are the players that you missed out on? Either it was because of ADP, the way things changed, or just your drafts didn't go that way. Yeah, one guy for me that I'm really bummed about is Jerry Judy. Uh, I was scrolling through today looking at my exposures. I only have 7% Jerry Judy, and that feels way too low given how hot his name is in fantasy right now. Like He's creeping up into the fifth round a lot of times in best ball as well as in redraft leagues. Um, and it makes sense, right? Like On the main show, you guys have done a lot of work about like these second-year breakout wide receivers. And I'm kicking myself because two months ago, he was going like a full three rounds later because people don't know, like, was it Quilton Sutton? Is it Jerry Judy? Is Drew Locke even good? And then we have the Teddy Bridgewater news. So um, he was a player that we should have been on a lot sooner. And I'm kind of bummed that I missed out. But I do have a few shares. So hopefully it's not too bad. Yeah, it was part of that just you liking other receivers in that area or other Denver guys. What was what was part of that? Yeah, it wasn't even the Denver thing, really. It was just other guys in the, around the same ADP that I was taking a lot of at the time. Like one name that comes to mind is like Curtis Samuel. I really was high on Washington football team. And then, of course, he kind of had a, a really rough summer with like the COVID list and the groin injury. Um, so that, in retrospect, obviously was not great. Uh, so we'll see how it works out. The thing about best ball is it kind of ebbs and flows. And if you're playing in the same tournament, like the best ball mania, which is really one of the big ones for underdog, where players go matters. So if if you were to draft Jerry Judy now, he went in the fourth round in a draft I did today for Best Ball Mania. It's like you're playing against teams that got Jerry Judy in like the eighth round a couple of months ago. And so that's just kind of what you have to see. And that that's my guy that I missed out on. It's Aaron Jones. So there's a point where there was a dip. And what do people say? You buy the dip uh, in the stock market, or at least they tell us to. I didn't buy the dip. I was a little scared. And so when Aaron Jones was going like middle to late second round, I just didn't, I didn't end up with many of him on my team. I have a lot of AJ Dillon from the beginning of the summer. And so I feel really like really low, like 5% under, maybe under that with Aaron Jones. So I'm a little scared about that. I drafted him on a team today just to make myself feel better. <laughs> Trying to make up for it. Yeah, he was a guy I'm on the opposite end of the spectrum as you. Um, earlier this summer, I wrote up an article about running backs to take a stance on a best ball. And AJ Dillon was one of those guys. You and I talked about it on the show. Like We want to be higher than market on AJ Dillon because if Aaron Rodgers comes back and should anything happen, heaven forbid, to Aaron Jones, AJ Dillon is, what would you say, on a weekly basis, a top 10 running back probably, right? Right. So you were getting him so, so late. So I have a ton like you of AJ Dillon. But at the same time, like as the news started to turn and it looked more and more like Aaron Rodgers was coming back, I was like, you know what, this week, I'm going to just smash Aaron Jones in the second round and kind of get my exposure that way. So 
I feel like I didn't miss the boat maybe as much as you, but I certainly wish I had a little bit more Aaron Jones as well. And then we'll finish up with this one. Best ball is just super fun because now I don't have to think about it anymore. I'm not going to look at it every single week. You know, I'll check back in and see how some of the teams are doing. Our big dog team, we're going to be checking that every single week. But uh, what's your favorite team that you've drafted? Don't go through every single pick, but just give me give me a team that you drafted, maybe the tournament it was in, and just to give listeners just a peek of like, okay, well, here's my thought process with this team. Yeah, there's a common theme along the teams that I like a lot, and they feature two running, or excuse me, two quarterbacks. <laughs> Don't do it, two running back fields. Two quarterback fields and two tight end builds. And just the plethora of wide receivers that you get specifically with a strategy that employs like one elite or top tier quarterback, one kind of middle to late tier quarterback, and then an elite tight end and a couple of stud running backs. And then just a a ton of wide receiver volume in those middle rounds. It really kind of feels right this year. And especially when you have guys like on the the roster that I'm looking at that I have like super late, like Deami Brown at like 190, Dwayne Eskridge, my last pick of the draft, Josh Palmer, the second to last pick, like those kind of rookies, feel right in those sort of builds where you get you know the the round four five six seven wide receivers the stud running backs and then those two uh qb and tight end builds those are definitely my favorite so far this summer so i went back and looked at a team that has lamar and sam darnold i have a lot of sam darnold i've been pretty high if i have terrace marshall and i need to stack at the end i usually end up with sam darnold but i have a team that has lamar jackson and it happened to have gus edwards on that team at pick 118 so you know, it's a pretty good value. And then when I look at the rest of my team, I have Kittle, of course. I mean, come on, it's not a team unless Kittle's on it. Uh, a Kamara. So it has like high end running backs. It has Tony Pollard with some upside. And then at wide receiver, I have some options like Claypool, Godwin, um, Michael Gallup. I even have Michael Thomas on there. So I just feel like that team is just constructed weird. And that's my favorite part about best ball is you get to construct your lineup in a way that's just different than anyone else. And hopefully you and I get to do well in these tournaments. Hopefully you enjoy the best ball content. That was part of the ultimate draft kit. Plus Uh, we're going to be taking down our best ball content because live this next week will be all of our DFS articles, including what I just looked at behind the scenes, the roster percentage report. It looks beautiful. Uh, It's going to be great. So all of our DFS content will be live starting this next week. Our content schedule is on the Fantasy Footballers website, so you can be a part of that. And you can also jump in whenever you want. Like You can jump in and say, you know what? I missed out on getting the Ultimate Draft Kit. I already did all my drafts. Can I just get the DFS pass? We're about to flip the script, and you are going to get to be a part of that. So I am excited uh, for DFS season, but let's get into this week's segment where you and I Get to talk about the week one Vegas lines from DraftKings Sportsbook. The fantasy footballers versus the world. Yes. That was interesting. <laughs> Us against the world. We're going to win all the money. That was a segment. I mean, I want to say 2016, 17. It hasn't been used and I've been it's, waiting. It's back there. <laughs> that's a throwback for sure and when we get the season started for dfs we will get to use our dfs specific drops if this drives you crazy you're like i have no idea what the drop is we're gonna start getting a regular cadence but i mean it's the summer so i wanted to have a lot of fun of just pulling out uh really random drops but we will have our own specific ones for dfs but this week we are talking about the vegas lines and for us we use DraftKings sportsbook hashtag we love them 
They are a sponsor of the show. And so we'll be referring to the DraftKings lines over and over and over again if you hear those. But let's give some overarching thoughts about Vegas lines and DraftKings lines and where to start. Like, why are we why are we talking about the slate first in this sense? And then next week, we're going to go through specific cash game and GPP plays. Yeah, Vegas lines, they're really important in terms of looking at, you know, projecting how we expect players to do, right? Like Vegas, there's a saying, don't mess with Vegas. And there's a reason. They're they're right. Like the, the favored team, according to the data that we looked at, wins 66% of the time. They're not wrong very often. So when you think about that, you know, it's not rocket science to say team A versus team B. If team A is favored, they're expected to score more points. We can probably assume more fantasy points are coming from that environment because of the touchdown. So, you know, that's the strategy that we employ a lot looking at which team is favored. You know, what are the the game totals and the team totals? Like what does Vegas project to have happen as far as who they expect to roll with offensive points? So that's an approach that I take in the Vegas report on the website in the DFS pass that you'll be able to find that information in there each week that's specific to the week ahead. But we really want to attach ourselves to Vegas because, as I said, the hit rate is high. They're they're right. So if they're going to be right, we should just kind of hop on their coattails and um, and basically build lineups correlated around that stuff. Yeah, it's it's not perfect, but you're not going to be able to beat Vegas long term. The pregame spread, like when we talk about this team's favored by three or, you know, six and a half, whatever it is. It actually has a pretty strong correlation considering, you know, the randomness of football, the way that we talk about it's a one week game and anything could happen. Uh, it's 0.42 over the last, you know, five years. So we actually have pretty good data that tells us we should be looking at the line more often than not. It's not perfect, uh, but the spread is something that we really care about. And, and generally speaking, if you are a home team, you're going to be spotted three points at some level and just said, okay, you're going to be favored by three. And then they'll kind of adjust based on the matchup. It's different because there are some weird fluky schedules. You and I, that's what we get to do right when the schedule comes out in May. And for instance, the Colts last year were favored for some reason in six in 15 of 16 weeks. Like the Colts weren't like a, a world beating team. They just had weird matchups where the spread just was in their favor. They were, they had a, really soft schedule and that's why they ended up 11 and five. So things can be fluky with Vegas. It's not as straightforward as just saying the chiefs, the bills, they're the best and they're always going to be favored. Uh, there's going to be weeks where it's not that way, but what are some takeaways that you and I have had about spreads and maybe more specifically game totals? We've talked a lot about that magical number of 50. Yeah. We talked about, you know, on a couple episodes ago, like how, in tournaments, people just associate game stacks with the highest total that exists. And don't get me wrong, sometimes that's going to work. If you just kind of randomly log into a sports book and see this game as a, a 54 point total, like this should be a huge environment for scoring. Let's stack the game. That's going to work sometimes. But we actually found in the research, like looking at the data set from last year, like games that have a, a 50 or higher total combined between the two teams, the under actually hit at about a 61% rate. It's kind of counterintuitive. You would think that a high total, we should be attacking that game, definitely going after it. But the over only hit 35%. So it's not like it's one of those things that it's a guaranteed print fest. If you just say, look at the games that are 50 and above, stack those games, you're going to succeed in DFS. Unfortunately, it doesn't work that way. So um, the other thing we found along those same lines is kind of that sweet spot. Like between 47 and 49 and a half total points, that's when the over was hitting at about a 58% clip. So 
I think in general, when we have our opponents log into DraftKings or log into FanDuel and they see, okay, here's the lines, like here's where I want to go with this. They see the 50 plus and they just kind of like throw everything else to the side. We found there's some value in those kind of second tier games in terms of hitting the over. And I think in tournaments that can really help us out this year as far as looking at game stacks to attack in DFS. Yeah, Josh Dillman, I'm going to jump ahead from this is a mailbag question, but I thought it was perfectly in line with what we we're talking about. Josh asked on Twitter, I know your research about 50 over and under games don't hit over as often. So what bets talked about, but how he asked, how often are you fading those games? So I wouldn't say you're fading them completely in the sense of like, there's usually going to be two or three that are over that every single week. Some weeks are more than others. Uh, you're just maybe saying in tournaments for me, I'm going to probably get a little different than that in cash ride that like in cash, I'm jumping on board that 50 plus total because I know that the game might not hit the over. And that's what I'm, what I'm, the point I'm trying to get is the game might not hit the over. It might not work for tournaments, but there are still pieces for cash that I want. And so for tournaments, I'm thinking about stacking only. And so that's, that's what I care about. I'm not fully stacking or doing a game stack in cash. Is that a good way to look at it? Yeah, I think that makes a ton of sense. And I think one example is like the Browns Chiefs game has a huge total in week one. Like we're not saying don't play Patrick Mahomes in cash. Like clearly there are going to be good plays in those games. And when we look at cash, we kind of talked about on that episode a couple of times ago about how we actually just want to attach ourselves to teams that have high implied point totals. So, you know, if the Chiefs are favored by a touchdown, they're projected to score more points than the Browns. Like we should ride the Chiefs, for example, right? Like that kind of makes sense in those specific game environments that have that 50 plus total. We're just talking about in DFS tournaments where we want to really build correlation and go full game stack. Maybe it makes more sense to not totally fade those games, but consider other games as potential uh, spots that we're overlooking. So let's, before we get into a couple categories, I want to talk about that Chiefs-Browns game. Do you think that that's going to be the most publicized game? Like maybe not so before we get into DFS, but like week one, this is the matchup on the main slate that people are going to be talking about. From a real life NFL perspective yeah. or for DFS? Real life. Real life NFL, I do think so, right? The Browns are a hot team. Everyone loves the Chiefs, obviously. This is a rematch of the AFC playoffs last year. Um, who's the backup quarterback for the Chiefs that scrambled for that first down? Was that Chad Henney? Chad Henney, your boy. <laughs> oh my gosh, what a game. So that was a national TV game. Like people remember that. So I think people are going to be pretty excited to watch Browns and Chiefs. That's w- the reason why I asked that is because I think with a lot of casual people, I think that game will also like veer into like super popular just in general because people want to watch that game. Mahomes is the most marketable player in the league. You know, it's going to be very easy with Kelsey and Tyreek. So we're not saying don't play those guys. I think in cash, we might have that discussion this next week. But week one's a little different. Week one, I feel like that's going to carry over into roster percentages. But beyond that game, let's talk about what do you think the most popular game will be in terms of stacking for DFS in week one? Yeah, we kind of talked pre-record a couple of days ago about like, what are you looking at here? What do you think? And we both kind of came to the conclusion. We just looked at the the total, the spread, and we said Arizona and Tennessee seems like it is going to be the game stack of the week that people are most looking towards. You know, Tennessee is favored by two and a half points. The over under is 51 and a half. So again, it kind of has that psychological feel to it of like, okay, it's a high total over 50. It's a close spread. So in my head, I'm already telling myself that I know that this game is going to be back and forth and, you know, the, the game is going to be close. So we don't have to worry about a blowout. 
Um, I think a lot of people are going to be wanting to stack the Cardinals and Titans. The Cardinals secondary is really bad, by the way. Like Malcolm Butler just retired. So there's going to be a narrative that's at play that just says, okay, if it's not Henry, then it's going to get there from Tannehill, A.J. Brown, Julio Jones, or whatever. So it makes sense, but it will be the most popular because there's so many pieces. There's so many different directions you could go in this game. So we're not saying don't play this game. Just realize it's going to be popular. And when our percentages come out, we'll see how popular they are. If there's any values anywhere else, maybe that will kind of, you know, change it. But how do you get different in this game? Like, I feel like the easiest way to do this, the easiest way to make a lineup would just say, I'm going to go Kyler Murray, DeAndre Hopkins, and Derrick Henry. Or I'm going to go Tannehill, A.J. Brown, and run it back with Hopkins. 100%. I think the most popular build is going to be Kyler and DeAndre Hopkins. People are hot and bothered for A.J. Brown. Obviously, Julio, you know, he still has something left. So I do think that that is going to be extremely popular build. So my, you know, tournament thinking process here says, okay, if it's not Kyler and it's not the passing game, what if it's Chase Edmonds or James Conner in this type of situation, right? I mean, Tennessee last year was just absolutely atrocious in all facets of defense. Um the Cardinals have been a team that when they get in close, they're willing to just pound the rock. We saw Kenyon Drake run to the back of his lineman over and over and over again from the five yard line last year. So unless Cliff gets a little more creative, like, you know, James Conner or Chase Edmonds could fall in the end zone once or twice. And all of a sudden, like, that's the huge leverage play. So I do think the rushing attack from the Cardinals could be a sneaky leverage play on that popular game. And then we've talked about this before, but the wide receiver two is underutilized by the field. And so let's say you didn't use Hopkins or you did double stack. Like Rondale Moore right now is $3,000. He's the stone minimum for the Cardinals. So I don't mind that if you wanted to get a little different. We also talked about how Edmonds had really good positive correlation with Kyler last year. So 4,600 with Edmonds is great. You mentioned Connor, 4,500. So I think with Arizona, there's some pieces that you can get different. On Tennessee, are we really going to talk about the Ferk Daddy? I mean, he is 3.2K on DraftKings. Oh, I'm not saying, I'm just saying that, hey, we know that if you correlate your tight end, the outcomes are better. Like you talked about Hayden Hurst last year a lot. Like Hayden Hurst had zero good games when Matt Ryan had a bad game. So if you're excited about Ryan Sandhill potentially just destroying that, oh man, the, the secondary for the Cardinals is bad, destroying that secondary, like, all you need him to do is catch a touchdown and he could pay off. So I don't hate that kind of sprinkle him in, but by all means, I'm not like, oh, log in. Who's the first guy I'm going to put in? Anthony Ferkser. No, I'm not saying that. I do think that he can be included in a game stack. Yes. Do not play Anthony Ferkser on his own. Okay. If he's going to do well, it means that Ryan Tannehill did well. So please don't, don't play the Ferk daddy naked. Is that what you're saying? Never. God, don't do that. No. <laughs> Woo. Oh, man. What other game do you think is going to be popular? So we mentioned Arizona, Tennessee. We kind of talked about Kansas City, Cleveland from like a football tough guy perspective. But what else? Yeah. How about the Steelers at the Bills? This game is a six and a half spread in favor of Buffalo. The over under is 48 and a half. I've already seen a couple people on Twitter sharing their screenshots of you know, what's next? It's kind of a funny thing in DFS. People will put a player or two in their lineup and just screenshot just that and say, okay, what's next? Because they assume that that's so right. And those builds are Josh Allen, 
with Stephon Diggs and a secondary wide receiver, whether it's Beasley or Manny Sanders, and then like a Chase Claypool bring back or a Deontay Johnson bring back. I mean, there is so much that you can get access to in this game that I don't know where the roster percentage is going to condense around, but we know the Bills want to throw the ball a ton. So the Bills wide receivers are going to be popular. And then the Steelers, like Najee Harris is an early second round pick now in redraft leagues. You know, people are hot and bothered thanks to Mike for Chase Claypool. Deontay Johnson was a PPR machine last year. Like, it, it just makes sense. It's got a decent total. Um, I, I really could see this game being extremely chalky, maybe even the second most popular right behind Tennessee and the Cardinals. We also have recent history. Remember, we're last year where Josh Allen was that on a Thursday night or a Sunday night? It, it was, I think it was a Sunday night. I just remember him going bananas like just absolutely bananas he went nuclear and so i think that'll be in recent history for people it's like oh well pittsburgh defense is good but we've seen josh allen do this so i do think a lot of roster percentage will condense around this game i think Diggs will still be super popular despite the pittsburgh defense and this will probably be a game that i fade or i have maybe like a one-off piece like one of the steelers wide receivers whoever is you know second or third in roster percentage i'll probably in a tournament jump on that but yeah, I just can I give a can I give a quick like quick like sneaky gold star player right here? Yeah. What about Gabe Davis, dude? He is so cheap in this game. Like he feels like a decent if you want exposure to this, he seems like a decent dart throw GPP type of play. Yeah, it I have no idea how it's going to shake out for those second, third, and fourth receivers for Buffalo. And I think that's what we need to do. We need to take advantage of that and be able to, you know, jump in. So um, I totally agree with that. Give me your sneakiest game on the slate. All right. I'm going to go with the Colts and the Seahawks. Now, I need to preface this by saying this assumes Carson Wentz starts and we want if he does not. This could get ugly real quick. But this is a situation over the course of the last few weeks with the Carson Wentz injury that originally... Um, the Colts were favored by two and a half points and then it flipped and now the Seahawks are favored by two and a half. But you would expect with how much turmoil has gone on with the Colts that this would be a bigger spread. Vegas is saying not so much. So they're projecting a pretty close game between the Seahawks and the Colts. And, you know, it's in that sweet spot that we talked about. It's got a 49 point total, which is nice. Last year, Indy, like you talked about, like they were hitting the over 56% of the time in Seattle. If you remember the first month and a half of the season, they were hitting the over every single week. And then in the back half of the year, Pete Carroll and his white New Balances said, no, we're running the ball. But now we have Shane Waldron coming in. All the talk is about picking up the pace, kind of giving Russ more of the keys to the offense like he wants. So I could see a scenario here where this is a nice little game stack. You get Russ, you get one of the, one or both of the pass catchers. You know, and let's not forget, I mean, Michael Pittman, come on, on the bring back could be really nice. Pity City. I'm all about hanging out in Pity City. <laughs> As as I've been referring to him. Where did that come from? <laughs> I, you know, I mentioned it to Mike one day and I think it's because Mike's been all about Michael Pittman as well. And it's kind of like slowly like gone our way where it's like, OK, he's the dude. No, he's not the dude. It's probably going to be T.Y. Hilton, Paris Campbell. Oh, Wentz is out. Oh, Wentz is back. So things are trending the right way. And now T.Y. Hilton's out. I know. I'm telling you, this is I mean, it's great news. <laughs> oh man yeah Pittman I th- do you think he's gonna be popular in week one like first kind of glance at the, of the slate you know it just depends there's so many of those wide receivers that you know I feel like can fit the mold of 
breakout wide receiver in redraft, and then it comes over into DFS. He's 4,100, so I don't hate the price. And if you're going to game stack, then it makes a ton of sense. But yes, it's... Yeah, it's a great price for him. If it's Jacob Eason, then stay stay far away. Um, yes. All right, so I'll give a quick take on this revenge game. It is the Jets at Carolina. So I wish it was like in New York, like it's East Rutherford, right? Isn't that where they play? Yeah. Um, yep, New Jersey. Technically New Jersey. But yes... Sam Darnold, Robbie Anderson get to play their old team, but it's a completely different front office. So is there is it really a revenge game? I feel like it kind of is. Like maybe half, half a revenge game. It's like a completely different team for the I mean the Jets have a completely different identity. Adam Gase is gone, but the Panthers are five and a half point home favorites. This game is a 48 total, so it's in that spot, like I said, that I don't mind the over. It's weird with the Panthers because I actually have an under on their win total for the season, seven and a half. And I felt pretty good about it. But in the last two weeks, I feel like the Panthers have been gaining steam. Sam Darnold, Terrace Marshall, like just people as a whole are looking up on the Panthers. So um, I just think it's a game that there's pieces that we like, especially at Carolina. Like obviously we love CMC. We love their wide receivers. Uh, And then the Jets have some value with Corey Davis. Uh, One of those running backs could do work. I mean, the Panthers have a terrible defense, but Beyond getting into matchups, I just think it's a game that's under the radar. And 48 is a healthy total for the Panthers and Jets, two teams you don't really think of. Is it really that high already? Yeah. Wow. 48. Are you sure that's right? I'm going to look it up real quick. I could be a dummy and just uh, put the wrong number down. Yeah. You're you're a silly goose. It's 44 and a half. Dang it. <laughs> like I said, guys, this game... I was going to is- say because... <laughs> I so the reason I know that so well is it was at 43 and I already bet the over on it and that seemed way too low which you could kind of see like a scenario where it's like two bad teams right and have like this kind of shootout to it right um and it has moved to 44 and a half so I still am with you because the line is moving in the right direction for us that I do think that this is a sneaky game so I'm with you despite your uh, agree just 48 point total guys <laughs> these two take teams. my stupidity and just say this game's gonna hit the over okay jeez <laughs> oh okay yes 44 and a half is very different than 48 but i do like it in terms of there's some pieces all right let's Dude, re- we're in mid-season form i know all right <laughs> let's go through these next ones give me a game that you might fade Yeah, I am looking at the Chargers and the football team in week one. The Chargers are going on the road to play on the East Coast against Washington. It's a close spread of one and a half points. The over-under at 44 and a half. I know that there's a lot to be excited about with Washington. I've been vocal that I like this team. You know, Terry is my my guy. Um, Gibson season is alive and well. Like, there's a lot to like on that side of the ball. Then you think about the Chargers, yeah, Justin Herbert set the league on fire last year. Keenan's a stud. People love Austin Eckler. Like, it makes a lot of sense that there's guys that you like in this game. But kind of look at two teams that I'm not sure the pace is going to be there. And this, we're talking about two incredible defenses, at least on paper, that project to be pretty good. And, you know, there's kind of feels like a trap game of this could be a really low scoring type of game environment. So I don't really know that I'm going to have game stack exposure here. I could see myself playing one or two pieces but yeah this is not a game that i'm looking to stack in dfs week one yes i might talk about this game a little bit later but it's not one that i that i want to stack and the narrative at play is this is a defensive battle the Chargers have gotten better on defense washington's good defense so i totally understand that 
I'm going to give a game that has a 50 point total and just, you can check to make sure I'm not a dummy on this one, but I'm pretty sure that the Packers quote at the saints in Jacksonville, which is where this game is going to be played has a 50 point total and the Packers are four and a half point road favorites. It's kind of weird to call this a road game because it really is for both teams, but there's just so much at play here, including Jameis Winston that, uh, I like the Saints defense. I think they have pieces in play that can actually be okay. Their secondary is not great, but I could totally see this game hitting the under and people wanting to play it a ton. And there's really a lot of thin plays. It's like, okay, you play Rodgers, Adams, Aaron Jones. And it's like, okay, maybe Robert Tanyan. And then on the Saints side, it gets really thin. There's no chance that I'm playing Marquez Callaway because he's going to come in way too popular from the last couple of weeks. So, this is a game that I will probably be underweight, maybe play Kamara and Cash, but any thoughts on that game? Yeah, I'm with you, especially on Callaway. He's in, he's 3,400 on DraftKings. He's going to be extremely popular. Uh, in best ball, like, he is going in the 8th, ninth round. I, I can't do it. Um, so, yes, I'm with you. He's gaining steam, and I do think that this is a game where, like, we talked about it on the last show that the Packers... They were just scoring at an insane rate, like so quickly to get down the field and find the end zone that if you expect some regression and efficiency, they're a team in terms of pace of play that were pretty slow. So if they keep that same pace and the efficiency comes down, they could disappoint. And then on the Saints side of the ball, you know, they've got an awesome offensive line. Is Sean Payton really going to turn the keys over to Jameis and just say, okay, go win this game for us? I don't think so. So I can see them kind of like trying to take the, the air out of the ball, so to speak. So I'm with you. This is a game that I'll be looking to fade. It never feels good to call something an under. The reality is unders hit way more than you realize. It's where people, really good bettors, that's where they make their money. So that'd be the one that I would jump on right now if I had to say which one goes under. All right, a couple more categories here before we hop into the mailbag. Give me an onslaught stack that you like for week one. By onslaught, meaning you're probably picking three, four, yeah, four guys from a team. You're saying they're going to hit the over on their total they are just going to destroy the other team. Yeah, I am looking at the Vikings as a team stack against the Bengals in week one. Um, it's not There's not much to say about the Bengals defense, right? Like they have one of the worst pass rushes in the NFL. They just lost their top tier cornerback this offseason. Their secondary is not great. <laughs> not great, Bob. Um, and the, the way I like to stack these you know, teams when we talk about it is like, you don't have to like chase who's the guy. Like we know the Vikings offense is three players right now, especially with Irv Smith news. We got Kirk Cousins at quarterback, obviously, and then those three, Dalvin Cook, Justin Jefferson, and Adam Thielen. You can play a couple of those guys. You can play them as one-offs. But either way, like I like the Vikings here in this game environment against the Bengals. I think Dalvin Cook is going to be maybe one of the best cash game plays on the slate. If we're being honest, he's going to be extremely popular in tournaments as well, but don't get me wrong. Justin Jefferson and Adam Thielen can also smash in this matchup. I'm going to go with San Fran. We love their offense. And right now with Trey Lance, likely not being the starter week one, I feel like a lot of people will be off him. So Jimmy G is only, you know, was he 5,500? That's what it is. Okay. I was making sure I had the price right. He's 5,500. Mostert's actually pretty cheap at 5,800. And then my boy, George Kittle, there's a massive difference between him, Waller and Kelsey on this slate. Kittle is 6,300. Waller is 7,400 and Kelsey's 8,200. So you have to just go up the ladder to get these other guys. So 
I don't mind seeing San Fran, even on the road in Detroit, that's who they're playing, where they just put up, you know, 35 points and it goes through Jimmy G, Mostert, Kittle, and then you pick one of the receivers like Debo. So I I just think that's a stack that not a lot of people are going to want. And Kyle Shanahan does not mind running up the score either. So that's a little bit narrative based, but I just love the 49ers to smash week one. I think, was it seven and a half was, was the line for a while? Is that what it is right now? Yep, still there. Yep. Yeah, I I just could see them completely destroy. All right, which team do you think is most co- you're most confident to hit their over on their implied total? Yeah, dude, I'm just going to piggyback on what you just said. Give me the Niners. Like they're going to absolutely run all over the Lions defense. Their implied total is 26.8 points, so Vegas is saying, can they score four touchdowns? I think so. Um, and like you said, when the game is in the, the third, fourth quarter and they're up by a couple touchdowns, like that rushing attack from San Fran is just absolutely electric. So I could see them just kind of easily kind of pounding them into submission, basically just dominance in the fourth quarter. And all of a sudden you look back and they're like, yep, there's 38 points from the Niners against the Lions. Like that makes a lot of sense. So I do think that that team onslaught stack makes a lot of sense in week one. I'm going to say the Chargers. I've if you know me a little bit, historically, I'm a sucker for the Chargers And they're in the same boat as the Falcons where it's like, okay, they're going to let you down. But their implied total is only 22.75, depending on the book, uh, against Washington. They're one and a half point favorites. I'm just going to fade the defensive narrative about Washington and say, I think the Chargers are a solid offense. I think they could put up 23 plus points. And um, it's not a game that I want to fully stack. But if I was just going to say in terms of totals and whatnot, I like the Chargers to hit their over and on the opposite end, give me a team. You're confident. Hey, I think they're going to hit the under. Yeah, I'm going with a team. It kind of seems scary to go with the team. That's this low as their total, but the dolphins at 21 points, are they going to score three touchdowns against old bill with a couple of weeks here to prepare against Tua in his real kind of like second season? You know, this is his team kind of situation. I don't know. And man, that Dolphins offensive line could get absolutely embarrassed against the Patriots defense, who now has a lot of their COVID opt outs back in the lineup this year. I think that in week one, they could just overwhelm Tua and the Dolphins. I don't see them hitting their applied total at all in week one. I'm going to go with the Urban Myers, aka the Jaguars. Oh, Urban Meyer. Good Lord. Urban Meyer, I'm going to say, doesn't last more than two years. Is that crazy? I can see it easily. So right now, their implied total is 24 points. They're one and a half point favorites. Are we actually sure that the Jaguars are just that much better than Texans? Like the Texans are bad. They're really bad. And maybe this will just be a train wreck. But I don't know if they're like, that's going to be a game where I want to touch. Anybody wants to touch. And I mean, I'm not super confident. Vegas only calls them one and a half point favorites against the Texans. So that's a game that I'm just scared of. And I'm scared of the Jaguars. Like if you are like betting the Jaguars and you are like scared of the Texans, there's something wrong with that team. So <laughs> uh, dude, urban urban's going to like mess around and make this like a field goal game. When in reality, like they should absolutely embarrass the Texans. Like the Texans are the worst team by a wide margin in the NFL. And as they say, it's not close, but is Urban Meyer going to like, you know, call weird plays and try to get really sneaky and creative. And then all of a sudden we see like a bunch of three and outs. Like I could totally see that. So 
I don't know. On paper, it's great for James Robinson and our boy Marv Jones and obviously Trevor Lawrence, those guys. But I'm with you. Like, I could easily see a scenario where this game is like 20 to 17 and we're like, well, that was a bummer that we played them, you know? Yeah, it's just there. There's so many pieces that I'm not crazy about. LaVisca's 5K, and that's the one that I'm just, I'm excited about him. I'm excited about him in the season as a sophomore wide receiver. But yeah, I don't really, really want to touch that game. And it wouldn't shock me if the Texans won. Like that shouldn't shock anyone uh, in week one. Remember the Jaguars last year, they won in week one against the Colts and then they decided to lose uh, 15 straight. So yeah, because of the jorts, man, Gardner Minshew. Well, now he's gone. So well, now he's on the best quarterback room in, in the league, right? You guys have Hertz, Minshew, Flacco. Elite. Elite, baby. All right, let's jump into the mailbag. <laughs> mailbag. Kyle, Kyle just looked at me like I'm an idiot. <laughs> well, remember, oh, we didn't even mention our teams, by the way. Eagles and Falcons who play each other week one on the main slate. We'll probably talk about that next week, but uh, we still have to come up with what a good wager, friendly wager, non, non-monetary between us. So if you have one of those, tweet at us and say, hey, you two... Your two teams, whoever wins gets this because Betts is technically rooting for the Falcons in a weird way, aren't you? Let's put it this way. It's a win-win for me because I love the Eagles. If they win, that's great. But man, I have the mortgage on the, the Falcons over, we have it at seven wins. So if if after week one, we only need six more, I will be, I'll be able to sleep at night. Let's just say that. Here are a couple of mailbag questions that you guys sent in. This first one is from Jonathan Lopp. He said, which game with a 47 total, so which one with 47 or less, do you think has the highest odds of hitting the over? I'll start off and just mention that Washington Chargers game from just a straight betting perspective, 44 and a half feels pretty low. I feel like it's buying into the defensive narrative a little too much. So if I had to say which one hits the over, I would pick that one. Yeah, I'm going to go right back to the game that we talked about earlier with those Panthers and Jets. Like I said, these is two okay teams to bad teams that you could just see like defenses kind of falter and all of a sudden they kind of get there in the end. So I, I like that game, like I said, of, of hitting the over. So give me the Panthers and the Jets. All right, next question from Mike Babcock. How do you feel, speaking of the Falcons, about a Ryan Ridley stack week one? Both, he said both defenses are terrible. This is correct. Yes, this is good. This is good hashtag analysis. Um, I love it. Uh, I wrote up an article about three to four weeks ago looking at, you know, just early glance of week one. Here are the prices that stuck out to me. And looking at last season, Calvin Ridley was consistently towards the end of the year up in the 8,000s. He is below that in week one. So he's a, a guy that feels underpriced relative to his ceiling. If you're looking to pay up for a wide receiver, I think Calvin Ridley could come out in week one. And truthfully, run run circles around the Eagles secondary. Yeah, Matt Ryan's pretty cheap. Like 6K is like not too bad. If you get that stack, if you were to do Ryan and Ridley, it's a little under 28% of your salary. And so I try to stay in that range of like 25 to 30%. If you go over that, if you start paying like, like last year, if you were getting Rodgers and Adams, you were paying like 33, 35% of your salary with just two guys. So I think it's cheap enough, and you brought up about Ridley being honestly too cheap for himself. So for week one, if you want to get ahead of the curve, 
I bet those prices will only go up from there. Uh, all right. Next one is from Derek Pacheco. He said about three years ago when Ben, uh, shout out to Ben Cummins, uh, he used to be part of this podcast and footballers. Uh, he was writing DFS articles. He suggested the 80, 20, 80% cash, 20% GPP to build a bankroll. And you and I have talked about that before. He said this worked for a couple years, but it was unsuccessful last season. What is your strategy to build bankroll? And there are some divergent thoughts in the DFS space about this. Yeah, there seems to be more of a move towards people arguing that like GPP is the right way to play because when you're right, you get a better payoff than when you're doing cash. And that definitely is true. Don't get me wrong. But uh, we've talked about this extensively on the show over the last few weeks that it really depends on your goals. If you are trying to just kind of build a steady winning strategy over the course of time, cash is probably a safer bet in terms of doing that. Again, we're trying to be better than half the field. We're trying to win head to heads. We're more confident that that's going to pay off long term. But if you are serious about making a lot of money and really building a bankroll relatively quickly, like GPPs and tournaments make more sense. So it depends on your goals. I'll answer this for me. I do follow about a 75-25 split in terms of cash GPP. That's just my personal strategy and philosophy. But by all means, you know, you can follow what you believe in and kind of what your bankroll allows you to do. I'm more of a 60-40, so I play a little less cash than bets. Uh, depending on the week, it'll be 50-50. Something that I see people do that want to play more tournaments is just specialize in one area that you can just gain an edge. So I know people that just play tournaments in the afternoon slates because they're a little softer, like people aren't giving them as much attention, or they're saying, I want to go all in on showdown. And we did a show last week about showdown strategy. I know you've had a lot of success uh, bets in the preseason of of playing those showdown slates and and looking at that. So that might be one way if you're like, okay, I see people saying, you know, play tournaments and I see the screenshots, like nobody's screenshotting their cash, their cash winnings each week. Uh, I will be screenshotting my $1 uh, head to heads. Thank you very much every week. So follow me on Twitter. <laughs> no, we should do that just to see, because I bet if we were to show it like a winning, it's like, hey, I want a head to head. We're going to have some troll who comes out on Twitter and says, you guys are idiots posting your wins. It's like, come on, man. Uh, we should just do it. We should bait somebody. I'm going to do it. Okay, you, you you can do it. I would just say, Derek, it's a great question. Don't let anyone tell you it's old-fashioned, though, because it just depends on your bankroll, your goals, and what you want to do. So I've seen people be super successful playing this way. They play smart. It works for their finances. It works for you know the way that they live their lives. And yes, like it would be great to just go all in on tournaments and and maybe you have the mental fortitude to lose for 15 straight weeks and then win. I personally like knowing that long-term I have a good process in cash and then in GPPs, I mix it up. I know that I'm going to be wrong a lot of weeks and I get to hit sometimes. Like that's just better for my own psyche and I get to explain to my wife when she says, hey, How'd you do in DFS? <laughs> I can't say every single week I just lost. It, that doesn't work. Yeah, it's it's a much easier conversation to have when you're like, well, I lost a couple, but I won way more than I lost. So we're good. It, it's just, you know, better week ahead if that happens. <laughs> right. And so we have some articles on the website that talk about bankroll management. Uh, we've also talked about cash strategy, GPP strategy. Uh, there's a couple episodes back. We talked about DFS mix, mistakes. So if you want to go back through those, we have some 
you know, just more like for your life and for your goals, what do you want to do? I think it's a great question. People don't ask it enough. They just kind of throw money into the fire. All right. Next question is from Shlomach8. Shlomach. He says, what is the biggest thing to take advantage of in the first few weeks of DFS? Great question. This is a great question, and I'm excited to talk about this because I don't know about you, but I feel like I'm ready to run through a brick wall for week one. And I think a lot of people are. Like, they are so hyped for week one, as we should be every year. Like, this is our Christmas. We're back. DFS is here. You know, we just had a redraft league with our buddies. Like, it's, everyone's excited, and, and that makes a lot of sense. But we are going into the season probably thinking that we know a lot more than we do. And we're going to be wrong in week one. And all of a sudden, you know, we're like, wait, was this process over the summer correct? Or were we just, did we miss the boat? So I am actually looking more towards taking advantage of what I think the market thinks that they know in week one. And maybe, you know, I talked about just a second ago that I'm a huge cash game player. I might play more tournaments in week one because there's just a lot of uncertainty. And I think we want to embrace that. And especially looking towards week two, there's going to be things that happen in week one. And we're going to look back and say again to ourselves, like, were we off on that? Like, should we just completely throw that out, throw that out the window and go with this strategy now in week two? And so I do think that we should take advantage of a lot of the uncertainty associated with weeks one and two of the regular season. Play those small field single entry tournaments, you know, because the casual person is going to jump in, make a lineup and they're going to see $3 or $5, whatever it is, whatever the buy-in is that's super cheap and it's a single entry and they're essentially going to be playing a cash lineup in a tournament and you can take advantage of those. So find the, the small field tournaments by small field, I mean like two to 5,000 people. And if it's a single entry, like there's so many lineups, they're going to be dead because they weren't built with correlation in mind. They weren't, they weren't built the way that we've talked about this entire summer about how to assemble your lineup. So I'm excited about doing those because I think I have a little bit of an edge. And so don't feel like you go into a tournament saying, I'm going to win this thing. If you, if you are better than, let's say it's a 3000 person tournament and you can count 500 of those as dead already, like there's an edge to be had in those. So that's just something I want to do. And then in cash game lineups, like I think people are going to be dumb week one, uh, they're going to follow their idea in redraft. And in redraft, it's like you can afford to wait on a player to break out in DFS. Like I'm not going to wait. I'm going to be like ahead of everyone else and just jump, jump on board. Yeah. I like that call a lot. And especially for cash game too, like there are on DraftKings, especially huge field double ups, like 9,000, 10,000 people. That's not normal for DraftKings, by the way. They're not usually that big. So if you're looking to kind of have a couple, you know, I don't want to say easy wins, but easier than most weeks wins, I think that our process here can get you there in week one with those huge field double ups that, again, you don't have to be hitting the nuts. You just have to be smart enough to beat half the people in there. And I guarantee you there are going to be some questionable lineups in those uh, large field double ups. Fade any defensive matchup that you see that people are telling you. Like that's in tournaments, that's what I'm doing in week one because any data you're showing me from last year doesn't really matter that much to me. Like we know the Steelers are going to be a good defense. I actually don't care that much at all for week one. Like Washington, that's the one I brought up the most. Like that doesn't matter. So any green red that you see on any website that says is a good or bad matchup, uh, I just, I don't care. The one that I've seen the most is that first Thursday night game 
next week, it's like we know how good Tampa Bay was against the run last year. They were insanely good, almost probably too good. And so that's one of the ones where it's like, oh, well, we know Tampa Bay is good against the run, so we know Zeke will be bad. That's one of the ones where I go, okay, well, I'm just going to be playing Zeke if people are lower than I think they should be. I'm not saying Zeke's a perfect play, but that's a matchup one that everyone's just assumed. We know what they did last year against running backs, and I think you can take advantage of that. All right, last one from Fantasy Junkies. He said, what's the best way to treat an 18 to 20 player single entry contest on DK where the winner takes all? So there's winner take all ones that you can enter. Some people do this with their friends. It's like a 20 person league that week. So what's the strategy for that? And how would that change from what we usually do? Yeah, when you're trying to basically beat 18, 19 people, it's a very different conversation than when you're trying to beat 5,000, right? You can be more willing in these very, very small field uh, tournaments to play a couple of quote-unquote chalk plays, or especially if they're really strong. Like for week one example, like Dalvin Cook is a phenomenal play against the Bengals, right? Um, we might be more willing to say in a large field tournament, maybe he doesn't get there. In those small fields, you don't have to hit the nuts, so you should be willing to play more plays that have a good median projection outcome, and then maybe sprinkle in a couple of not off-the-wall plays, but just different plays. Um, we don't have to necessarily find those guys that are the diamonds in the rough, the 2% guy or the 1% guy. Like That's not necessarily this type of format. You just have to build a really strong lineup that can get there. And I would really emphasize in this type of format as well, correlation. So if there is a game that you think is going to go off, don't be afraid to get a double stack in there and really just kind of minimize the number of things that you have to get right to take home the entire thing. That's the, the takeaway. Minimize the number of things that you have to get right. So you know, get your Dalvin Cook in there, get your get your running backs that you want to jump on, and then just double stack because people probably aren't doing it as much as they should because they're kind of scared of like, oh, the variance, but like that's how you're distancing yourself from even 20 people. So those are fun. Like I, I have a group of friends here that we have like 10 people in a league. And so I just go, okay, I'm going to build a cash lineup and then maybe mix up one or two guys and get weird. And that's probably about it. So that that's it's a fun way to do DFS. We have a DFS contest each week through DraftKings. So we will put out the details next week. And it's exciting because this year Andy, Mike, and Jason can actually jump in that tournament some weeks and be a part of it because DraftKings is now legal in Arizona. So I'm excited about that. And next Tuesday, once again, reminder, we will have a full episode on the Tampa Bay Dallas showdown. And then Next week on Friday will be the main slate. So exciting week. I mean, get hyped for DFS and let the people know how hype you are. Oh my gosh, dude. So hype. We're going into a three-day weekend with Labor Day and then we come back with week one of DFS the following week. It is time, people. Go get the DFS pass and don't forget to follow us on social media. We're back for week one. I cannot wait. Let's go. Thank you for listening to another edition of the Fantasy Footballers DFS podcast. Don't forget to visit us on the web at www.thefantasyfootballers.com.